Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. This episode is brought to you by Paramount+. Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG-13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. We got another day of NBA action. And with FanDuel, every night is a watch party. So it's time for your FanDuel crew to make their bets. So, what's the move tonight, gang? You know that new customers who bet $5 get $200 back in bonus bets if you win. Woohoo! We're heating up, fam. Bet all the stars with all your friends and make every moment more only on FanDuel. New customers bet $5 get $200 back in bonus bets if you win. Make every moment more with FanDuel. One plus and present in Virginia. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued is non-withdrawable bonus vest that expires seven days after receipt. See full terms at fanduel.com slash sportsbook. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. A warning, this episode features dramatizations and discussions of violence and mutilation. Listener discretion is advised, especially for listeners under 13. As always, all myths have many versions and variations. For this episode, we've selected those we felt are the most dramatic and entertaining and supplemented them with additional research into Egyptian traditions. Because mythology comes from oral tradition, there's a wide variety across sources. Our myths may not always be the version you're familiar with, but we hope you'll enjoy them. Isis, the powerful goddess of nature and magic, was sailing along the Nile River, bound for Egypt. For ten long years, she'd wandered alone in search of her husband, Osiris. Now, at last, she had the golden box that contained his body, and she wanted to say goodbye. There he was, her great love, because of his divine essence, his body would not decay. If Isis didn't know better, she'd think he was sleeping. Oh, Cyrus, my husband. Don't worry, we're going home to Egypt. You'll be buried in peace. If this prince can learn magic as I hope, then he and I will raise a human army to avenge your life. The compassionate goddess unraveled as she recognized the pain in her husband's face, the contortion of his body. His death looked to have been slow and agonizing. Isis pictured the face of her brother, Seth, laughing as Osiris was flung into the Nile. It filled her with rage. Isis was suddenly aware of someone behind her. She imagined the worst, her brother, Seth. 
With fists clenched, she turned to face the aggressor, making a face so fearful it killed him where he stood. A moment later, Isis recognized the person who'd snuck up behind her, the Prince of Byblos, the five-year-old boy who Isis had taken on as a pupil and grown to love. When he heard Isis crying, he'd come to see why. Now his body crumpled and fell into the river, a look of sheer terror frozen on his face. As a strong undercurrent took hold of her ship, Isis watched the prince's body drift further and further away. Fear and doubt filled her mind. How could she mount a revolt against Seth, the god of chaos and violence, when she couldn't distinguish an attacker from an innocent child. Welcome to Mythology on the Parcast Network. Every week, we present dramatic stories from ancient mythology and explore their origins. I'm your host and narrator, Vanessa Richardson. Today we'll be finishing the story of Osiris and Isis, the wise, peaceful king and queen of Egypt who were torn apart when their brother, Seth, murdered Osiris to steal the throne. The love these two gods had for each other and for mankind sent them around the world, to the afterlife and back. Their story was particularly important for Egyptian culture because it explains their notions of the afterlife. For instance, the golden box that contained Osiris's body was actually the first sarcophagus. When ancient Egyptian pharaohs passed away, a similar ornate box would be crafted for them to connect their story to that of Osiris. Today, we'll discover more links to ancient Egyptian culture along with the exciting conclusion to this powerful saga. At Parcast, we're grateful for you, our listeners. You allow us to do what we love, let us know how we're doing. Reach out on Facebook and Instagram at Parcast and Twitter at Parcast Network. And if you enjoy today's episode, the best way to help us is to leave a five-star review wherever you're listening. It really does help. We also now have merchandise. Head to parcast.com slash merch for more information. Isis had finally arrived home. Her eyes blurred as she scanned the coast. She was exhausted, and except for the body of her husband, entirely alone. Isis dropped anchor in a secret place, taking care to hide Osiris's body among tall grasses. Then, excited to be reuniting with her husband after so long, Isis went about collecting the things she'd need to bring Osiris back to life. Isis did not realize, however, the extent to which Egypt had changed. Her brother, paranoid as he was powerful, had guards continually patrolling the shores. Before long, officers spotted Isis's boat and alerted Seth. As the goddess of medicine was collecting herbs and ingredients for her ceremony, Seth was en route with enforcements. Isis had just begun the ceremony that would resurrect Osiris when her brother arrived. Sister! <laughs> it's been ages. 
Stay back! I see Osiris's box has held up nicely, even though it was crafted by mortals. It's a good thing he loved them so much. Makes it more appropriate that they were the ones to kill him. You killed Osiris, and now you will suffer the consequences. Ooh, suffer? Consequences? These are strange words for the goddess of compassion. Are you angry, sister? Seth's guards stepped in close with their spears. Isis, powerful as she was, knew she was no match for the evil god of violence and his trained men. She backed away from Osiris. Oh, you're not going to do anything? Well, what if I... Seth, no! Seth unsheathed his hunting knife, and with one swift movement, the god of violence lopped off his brother's head. He held it up for Isis to see. You really aren't going to do anything, are you, Isis? I... I... How the mighty do fall. Very well. With his knife and his bare hands, Seth tore his brother's body into 14 separate pieces, ensuring that Isis would never resuscitate him. Seth then took piece number 14, Osiris's phallus, and dropped it into the Nile. Watching until it was eaten by fish, Seth had ensured that Osiris could never produce an heir, and his sister was thoroughly humiliated. A once mighty deity was now conquered. Seth left Isis on the riverbank, defeated. He ordered the 13 pieces of Osiris to be scattered throughout Egypt, in cities all over the country. Isis cried out in such pain that she shook the earth. It was the most powerful quake the world had ever known. Isis's cries could be heard across the land. Before long, someone came to see what was the matter. Sister, you're home! What's happened? Neptis, my twin sister, is it really you? Or is my reflection mocking me now along with everything else? It is I. Here, let me help you. The goddess Neptis walked down to her sister, who lay dejected on the broken ground. Neptis began to pick her sister up, but Isis pulled away. Seth sent you, didn't he? Go ahead and kill me. I have nothing left. Did you hit your head in the midst of your quaking? I'm not here to kill you. Give me your arm. Isis told her sister what Seth had done. She expected Neptis not to care, to go on thinking about herself like she always did. When Isis finished, Neptis sighed loudly. She rubbed her eyes, sounding annoyed. <sighs> Fine, I shall help you. Help me? Help me what? I'll accompany you. Someone must. If your last trip is any indication, it would take you years to recover Osiris on your own. <sighs> I don't know what to say. Good. Some peace and quiet would be nice for a change. That evening, the two goddesses made preparations for the long journey ahead. They had no idea how long it might take to find all 13 pieces, but if they could not, then Osiris's soul would be lost forever. We should use dogs to track each part. The parts, my husband's body, is being spread across Egypt as we speak. 
Do you have dogs that can smell across an entire country? No. Then stop making foolish suggestions. I advise you to think like the goddess of magic, sister, for that is what you are. If we do not have dogs that can track Osiris's scent across Egypt, then we can... We can make them. For once, the twin sisters worked together. Combining their magic, they crafted powerful tracking dogs. At first light, Isis held the tattered remains of Osiris's clothing before the dogs. The dogs sniffed furiously, taking in every last fiber. Then they were off. Isis and Neptis raced behind the pack, following along as fast as they could. After days of tracking, the dogs began to slow near the outskirts of a small town. Far from the beaten path, the dogs discovered a strange patch of earth and began to dig. Isis held her breath, hoping her sister's idea had worked, wondering what the dogs would find. As the dirt gave way, Isis saw the golden hue of her husband's skin. She moved the dogs aside and reached down into the earth. Gripping firmly, she pulled her husband's arm out of the soil. The fist was still clenched tight, a reminder of Osiris's painful last moments. Isis took this part of her husband and washed it in the river. To preserve it for the journey, she rubbed it with fine oil and wrapped it in linen. After only a few days, the two sisters had already made significant progress. As Isis settled down for the night, she smiled. Not only would she find Osiris in no time at all, but she had just thought of a way to turn this situation to her advantage. When we return, Isis's revenge plot gains momentum and an all-out war erupts between compassion and vengeance, sister and brother, good and evil. There's a lot that could impress you about the all-new Honda Prologue EV. True, it's got class-leading passenger space and clean, thoughtful design and intuitive technology. But what really sets the Prologue apart from the competition is that it's more than an EV. It's a Honda. Honda, the power of dreams. Visit honda.com slash prologue to learn more. And now, back to the story. Atem, the once mighty sun god, had just begun his morning trek across the sky. Soon, the desert would be unbearable. To get ahead of the heat, Neptis prepared the dogs, eager to move on. Suddenly, Isis emerged from her tent. I want to build a temple for Osiris. Wonderful. As soon as we found his body, you can lay him to rest however you like. May we go? No. I want to build a temple today, on the spot where we first found him. You've only found a hand. That hardly justifies the construction of a temple. What would you even call it, the Temple of Osiris's hand? The Temple of Osiris will be fine for this and every other temple we build. How many temples are you planning to build? Thirteen. One for every part we find. We can't spare the time. If we recover Osiris's body, Seth will destroy it. Again. 
However, if 13 different temples each claim to hold the sacred remains of King Osiris... Then no one would know where his remains had been laid. Exactly. Isis had successfully convinced her sister, and the duo quickly built a temple to Osiris, the first of 13 spread across the land. Every time the dogs led them to a new part, Isis and Neptis used their magic to construct a new temple. These temples didn't just serve to confuse Seth. Whenever a new gift or a prayer was offered up at one of his altars, it also increased Osiris's strength. In time, Neptis and Isis collected all 13 parts of Osiris, save for the 14th part, which was eaten by a fish. They believed their search had finally ended, but their mystical dogs continued to bark and pull at their restraints, as if they still smelled Osiris in the distance. They weren't sure where the pack would take them, but the sisters released the dogs and followed them once again, tracking Osiris's scent across the desert. Soon the land became treacherous. The dogs led the sisters up spiraling cliffs, through dark caverns, until they finally came to a dead end. The trail went cold at a rock wall, and the dogs were unsure where to go. As the sisters looked around to retrace their steps, the dogs began to growl and quake with fear. Out of the shadows walked a strange figure. It appeared to have the body of a boy not more than 10 years of age. Its head, however, was that of a dog's. It walked towards the pack of animals with its hand outstretched. As they greeted each other, the dogs became calm again. It seemed this was a friend, not a foe. What is it? A disgrace. Neptis had recognized the child immediately. She could never forget her own son, the product of her one-night stand with Osiris. After giving birth to the child, she abandoned him in the wilderness. She hadn't even given him a name. The child deity now approached Neptis. He didn't realize she was his mother, but he did sense a strong connection with her. His arms stretched out in excitement as he walked to his birth mother. Stand back! I spared your life all those years ago, but I shall have nothing more to do with you. He's only a child, sister. The child of Osiris, a threat that Seth would strike down without a second thought, along with the poor bastard's mother. Had I known this is where we were going, I would not have followed. We can't leave a child here alone. Oh, we can't. I can. Our work is completed. If you wish to care for this child, you do so at your own risk. I bid goodbye to the both of you. Though Neptis had abandoned the child god, Isis would do no such thing. In her compassion, she adopted the boy and raised him as her own. She named him Anubis, and from that day forward, he would serve Isis as a fierce bodyguard and loyal assistant. His first task was to help Isis with Osiris's reanimation ritual. First, she laid out all 13 pieces of her husband, which had been wrapped in linen, she removed all of Osiris's organs and placed them in several jars. She then wrapped the parts together to reassemble, in effect, Osiris's body. 
This step in the ceremony is an example of the classic Egyptian mummification ritual. It marks Osiris as the first mummy in ancient Egyptian culture. Upon hearing this story, royalty and commoners alike would mimic this process when they died, in the hopes of meeting Osiris in the afterlife. As Osiris's mummification was completed, Isis's heart raced. She brought her lips to her husband's and kissed. She filled Osiris's lungs with a magical breath and gave him life once more. <sighs> my queen, what happened? Where are we? I am no longer queen, my love. Egypt has fallen. Do you feel any pain? I, I feel like new. Isis, why are you crying? Because you've died. I remember now. The sound of the river. The darkness. I need your counsel. This spell can only last for a few moments, no more. What should I do? Never again will we be together. So hold me close, as long as you can. With her magic, Isis fashioned a replacement for the one part Osiris was missing. She embraced him one last time and said goodbye. When his life finally gave out, Isis carried his body from the cave. Anubis trailed behind, already willing to lay down his life for his adopted mother. The goddess of nature smiled as she walked. When she'd come into this cave, she was alone. Now, she was walking out with two strong allies, Anubis, the son of Osiris, and his newly conceived brother, well, half-brother, Looking within herself, Isis could see she and Osiris had produced an heir. Isis would keep the news of both sons to herself, at least for a while. In time, Isis gave birth to the child, Horus, the god of light. Just as Anubis had the head of a dog, Horus had the head of a falcon. To the Egyptians, this was a sign that Horus was to be a great ruler. Isis knew, if he grew to adulthood, Horus would restore order to the world. For years, Isis and Anubis stood guard over the temple where Osiris was finally laid to rest. Every evening, as Isis watched over her husband's resting place, she dreamt of the day her son Horus would grow powerful enough to challenge Seth. And she didn't have to dream alone. Now that his body was finally at rest, Osiris's spirit was free to return from the land of the dead. When the other gods heard that Osiris's spirit could now return from the afterlife, they wanted to offer him some sort of consolation. He was an excellent thinker and king, so it only seemed right to appoint him to a new position. The land of the dead? Why would you accept a position as king of the land of the dead? No one is sure how to handle my situation. I'm the first god to die, and so I'm the first one to see the land of the dead for what it really is. A desperate mess. Besides, what choice do I have? Until this point, only dead kings were allowed to be judged and led into heaven. Every other mortal soul was left to wander the land of the dead, a place called Duat, for eternity. 
With Osiris taking this new post, however, it meant every mortal who died could be judged. If they had lived a good, honest life, Osiris would gladly let them into heaven. When Osiris arrived at the land of the dead, it was chaotic. Lost souls were angry to have been forgotten, and people who'd lived criminal lives continued to incite violence whenever they could. The first thing Osiris did was devise a way to tell the good souls from the bad souls. It's called the 42 Negative Confessions. If you've lived a decent life, you should have no trouble reciting it word by word. Osiris came up with a list of 42 unforgivable sins. To gain access to heaven, all an Egyptian had to do was memorize the sins and honestly attest they had never committed them. I have not uttered lies. I have not stolen. I have not slain men and women. I have not committed adultery. This was the moral code that all Egyptians were expected to live by. It included all of the Ten Commandments mentioned in the Bible, plus 32 more. I have not eaten the heart. I have not been an eavesdropper. I have not raised my voice. I have never stopped the flow of water. I have done no evil. The 42 negative confessions gave hope to every Egyptian citizen that heaven was attainable. This is one of the reasons why the myth of Osiris and Isis lasted for several dynasties amongst various cults and religions of ancient Egypt. Not only did it promise eternal life to the common man, it had a detailed account of how to attain it. If a soul could not truthfully recite the confessions upon meeting Osiris in the land of the dead, they would be condemned to suffer in the lake of fire, a punishment Osiris also inflicted. As the land of the dead was finding its new balance, the earth had never been more chaotic. According to the Egyptian Book of the Dead, Isis lived in seclusion for many years to raise her son Horus in secret. Horus grew in strength and stature. Like his mother, he had a gift for magic. As often as he could, Osiris's spirit would return from the land of the dead to train Horus for battle with Seth. This battle would determine the fate of Egypt and the world. All right, son. That's enough for today. I can keep running. Really, I'm fine. No, no. I want to ask you something. Have a seat. All right. What belief do you value above all others? Well, the belief that I must avenge you, father, and my mother for the evil that's been done. Hmm. What animal do you believe would be most useful in battle? What animal? That's easy. A horse. A horse? Why not a lion? A lion could be useful for a man in need of assistance, but a horse is the best thing to use to cut off the path of an enemy and annihilate him. Is that so? Yes, father. The horse can be ridden at great speeds for long periods of time. Before long, I believe all battles will be fought on horseback. In this moment, Osiris was taken aback. His son was not only strong, but well-versed in military tactics. It had been nearly 20 years since Horus was born. He was no longer a little boy, but a fierce warrior and a leader. I believe you're ready. Truly? Yes. I will tell your mother. Now that Horus was ready to lead the rebellion, he needed a following. 
Secretly, he began to steal followers from Seth, humans who were tired of the violence and destruction that Seth brought about from the throne. Horus promised a return to order, like it had been when Osiris and Isis ruled together. Even though Horus was stealing his followers, Seth had no idea Horus even existed. After Horus had led his new army north, he decided to make his presence known to his uncle. He organized a surprise attack against Seth's followers. The god of violence was blindsided, but retaliated quickly, mobilizing an army and riding at its head. For 80 years, Upper and Lower Egypt fought one another, with Horus and Seth at the forefront of every battle. The two gods exhausted each other. Every time they met, they were perfectly matched. Finally, after another long battle with no clear winner, Seth called out to his opponent. Nephew, I have a proposition for you. Are you prepared to surrender, you venomous murderer? There's no need for that kind of talk. Tell me, why are we wasting the lives of these perfectly good mortals when you and I could settle this ourselves? What do you propose? It might sound strange at first, but hear me out. Seth told Horus that they should transform themselves into hippopotamuses and submerge themselves in the Nile River. Whoever could remain underwater the longest would win the throne. You must think I'm ignorant. Do you believe I'd let you drown me as you did my father? I'm not saying I won't try to kill you, nephew. But I'm offering you the opportunity to kill me, if you think you can do it while holding your breath. <laughs> Easily. Let us move to the river then. Horus trailed a safe distance behind his enemy. He knew he was riding into a trap, but he didn't care. He was clever enough to outmaneuver his uncle. If he kept his wits about him, he would be fine. As Seth and Horus transformed themselves and prepared for underwater battle, the gods looked on to see if this long-waging feud would reach its conclusion. Osiris watched from the land of the dead. Isis sat on the bank of the Nile River, ready to see her son strike down the god of chaos. And if it looked like Seth might get the upper hand on Horus, she would intervene and finish the job herself. One way or another, Isis, the goddess of compassion, would see that Seth paid for his crimes. The conclusion to the saga of Osiris and Isis when we come back. And now, back to the story. For three months, Horus and Seth had remained submerged as hippopotamuses in the Nile River. In their animal forms, they attacked each other viciously. Before long, they'd swum so far out, no one else could see what was happening. After staring at the turgid waters for days, Isis began to fear that Horus had drowned. Racked with anxiety, Isis crafted a large fishing hook and cast it into the Nile. She hooked Horus's body and reeled it in. But as soon as he was drawn out of the water, Horus dove back in. Mother, he was nearly defeated. What are you thinking? Isis realized then she'd made a mistake. Because of her interference, Horus had come to the surface before Seth. 
Uncertain how to help, Isis cast her hook back into the river. This time, she hooked Seth's body and dragged him to the riverbank. Seth was bleeding and weak. Three months of underwater battle had left him all but finished. At long last, he was vulnerable. All Isis had to do was finish the job. Don't kid yourself. We both know you're not going to do anything. You don't know what I'd do. Isis pressed her foot firmly against Seth's neck. Please, sister. This isn't like you. I beg you for mercy. Mercy? After everything you've done? If you won't show kindness, who will? All at once, Isis, the goddess of compassion, felt trapped. As her brother flailed so close to death, she looked into his eyes. She remembered how he had been as a child, mischievous, playful. Sure, he'd grown up into a monster, but he was still her kin, her brother. She was surprised to find, as she watched him struggle for breath, that she still had love for him. Isis's heart moved and she released Seth, allowing him to escape. When Horus saw what his mother had done, he was enraged. For the first time in his life, he lost his temper. With a cleaver in his hand, he sprung out of the water. How could you do that? After all the blood lost in the battlefield, after the years of preparation, after he killed my father! You let him go? He is still your uncle, and I still... Eyes filled with anger and blood, Horus chopped off his mother's head. Isis's magic protected her from death, but as her son retreated in anger up a nearby mountain, her spirit broke. She realized that for years now, she'd longed for vengeance and not justice. Out of shame, the goddess of compassion turned herself into a headless statue made of flint. All of the gods had been watching this unfold, but it was Atem, the creator of everything, who came to Isis's aid. He felt pity for his great-granddaughter, who at one time had been so mighty. He placed her head back on her body and urged her to return to her natural form. Atem then called together a meeting of the Ennead, the Council of Gods, to determine how this conflict could be resolved. As king, Seth had led Egypt into violence and despair. But with Osiris balancing out the land of the dead, the situation as a whole had become manageable for the gods. By contrast, the young Horus incited a violent uprising and had now lashed out at his own mother. What other evils was he capable of if left unchecked? The Ennead would have to settle this dispute among the gods once and for all. The gods of the Ennead then convened in a middle island between Upper and Lower Egypt, therefore neutral to the previous 80 years of war. Seth insisted that Isis could not join this all-decisive meeting. She had just attacked him with her hook, he argued. She could not be trusted to be impartial. For fear of Seth's wrath, the Ennead caved in to his demand, and Isis was barred from the meeting. 
Outraged and knowing that Seth would undoubtedly corrupt the gods to rule in his favor, Isis thought about her next actions carefully. After thinking up a clever plan, she transformed into the most beautiful woman in all the world and traveled to the meeting in spite of the gods' decree. On the middle island between Upper and Lower Egypt, the Council of Gods was deciding the new king of Egypt. They relaxed in the shade, unaware that the goddess of magic was stalking them. Isis saw Seth, lounging with a pail of water, nursing his wounds. Again, Isis prepared for attack. This time, however, she would call upon her intellect to bring down the violent god. She would lay a careful trap for him in rhetoric and let him argue in front of the gods that he does not deserve to be king. Isis saw her brother now alone and walked right up to him. Seth could not ignore Isis in her guise and was immediately enraptured with her looks. Well, oh my, you are beautiful. Oh, the king! My goodness, excuse me, I had no idea you were here. I'm so embarrassed. I may be the king, but you, my lady, may call me Seth. Now why are you embarrassed? It's only that, lucky though I am to meet you, I cannot be happy. I'm afraid I've been plagued with hardship. My husband, he was a cattleman, recently passed away. Oh? My son took over the stables, and he was an incredible cattleman for a while, until a stranger showed up at our home. Oh? We gave the stranger some food, and in return he said to us, I will beat you and confiscate your father's cattle. Then I will evict you! Wait a minute. Your son is still alive, and this villain claims to have ownership of your land? You should beat him in the face with a rod. Then you should evict him and install your son in his rightful place. When Isis heard this, she transformed herself into a bright kite before Seth's very eyes, taunting him. She flew up above the gods and called out Seth's hypocrisy. Be ashamed of yourself! It was your own mouth that said it! Your own cleverness that judged you! Well, what do you have to say? What is this? We ordered her to stay off this island and she has directly disobeyed us. Disobeyed the gods! Are you going to stand for that? Gods! Will we live out the rest of our lives in this tribunal? Place the white crown of Egypt upon Horus' head. If you will not, then write to Osiris in the land of the dead. You saw fit for Osiris to judge the souls of Earth. Shouldn't you value his insight on how the world is governed? Isis's passion swayed the gods. They sent a letter to the land of the dead, asking Osiris what he thought of the matter. This enraged Seth to no end. He left the island at once, transforming himself into a leopard and running between the 13 different tombs of Osiris. Seth did not want Osiris speaking to the council. The only way he could think to stop that from happening was to devour Osiris's remains, disrupting his spirit's connection with the afterlife. Osiris, meanwhile, received the Ennead's letter and composed his reply, entirely unaware that Seth had been destroying temples across the country. As Osiris wrote, 
Seth neared the steps of the temple where Osiris's body actually remained, the temple that Isis normally guarded when she wasn't meeting with the Ennead. Seth prowled around the outside of the temple. It was smaller than the others, less showy, an attempt to obfuscate the god that lay within. Seth knew he'd found Osiris's true temple. He trotted up the steps, prepared to devour his brother once and for all. But then Anubis, the fiercely loyal protector god, leapt down from above and impaled Seth at the entrance to the temple. Seth struggled against the unknown guard, but Anubis quickly lifted a molten iron rod and dragged it across Seth's back, searing off his fur and burning his skin. Seth collapsed to the ground in shock and pain, beaten before he knew the fight had begun. Anubis then flayed Seth's leopard skin and fashioned it into a coat, a warning for all not to defile the dead. As this unfolded, Osiris' letter reached the gods on the island. They read his letter with bated breath. Great-grandfather, mother, father, my time is limited, so I'll answer your question by telling you what I think. I think that I am disappointed. Disappointed that my gifts of agriculture and civilization have been completely disregarded, though they are a necessity for continuing life. It is only right that my son continue the legacy I built, to repair what was stolen. Remember, when injustice trickled down to the land of the dead, I devised a way to restore order and true justice. It stands to reason that my son would do the same for the living. This is the only factor that should influence your decision. The Ennead had heard enough. Isis sought Horus on the mountain to bring him back to hear the god's decision. From the other direction came Anubis, who marched Seth before the gods, skinless, shackled, and broken. The gods agreed that Seth's time as king was over. Rather than endure further punishment, Seth submitted to the will of the gods and gave up his throne. As for Horus, the gods ruled that day that a brand new crown was to be created, one to symbolize a leader who would rule over a united upper and lower Egypt, not just a king, a pharaoh. The first pharaoh of a unified ancient Egypt, Horus, the god of light. The ancient Egyptians believed, because of this story, that every pharaoh was a reincarnation of Horus, a continuation in a long chain of powerful rulers. Such was the enduring power of the myth of Osiris and Isis that it was used to determine ancient Egyptian politics for generations. After giving up his throne, Seth was relegated to the sky. While there, he crafted thunder and took great pleasure shaking the earth with loud bouts of rage. Today, historians believe that the entire battle depicted between Horus and Seth of the South and the North actually happened. This portion of the myth is believed to be modeled after the actual first pharaoh of Egypt at the start of the first dynasty period. But what of Osiris and Isis? Now that their long struggle was over, what became of them? 
The answer is found by looking at the rituals performed by ancient Egyptians. For millennia, cults of Isis and Osiris reenacted this great struggle of the gods. They used a wax figurine to represent Seth, which they spit on, trampled, bound, and banished from the earth in a ritual intended to please Osiris, who was now the god of the dead as well as a god of fertility. If they pleased Osiris in this ritual, which became their New Year celebration, Osiris would bless them, and their harvest would be plentiful. Isis, who still watched over the people she loved, would weep every time her family's saga was reenacted. Her tears would fill the Nile, bringing enough water for another year's worth of crops. This is how the myth of Osiris and Isis grew over time told again and again to ensure the survival of ancient Egypt. Today, the story provides an outline of ancient Egyptian values and a window into their society. Its details may be brutal, but it includes important elements of the human condition. Love, family, tragedy, vengeance, and ultimately, the need for logic and compassion. Armed with both, Osiris and Isis remain two of the strongest figures in Egyptian mythology. At long last, they were reunited in the afterlife, and through thousands of years of worship, cemented their position as the most peaceful king and queen in Egyptian history. Thanks again for tuning in to Mythology. We'll be back Tuesday with a new episode. If you enjoy mythology, you'll love my other podcast, Tales. Tales presents fairy tales the way they were originally told, orally and unadulterated. Traditional fairy tales aren't exactly suitable for children, and every other Saturday, we dive into another dark, classic tale. You can find Tales, more episodes of Mythology, and all of ParCast's other podcasts on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, or your favorite podcast directory. Several of you have asked how to help Mythology. If you enjoy the show, the best way to help is to leave a five-star review. And don't forget to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at ParCast and Twitter at ParCast Network. We'll be back next week with another epic tale. Mythology is a Spotify original from Parcast. Executive producers include Max and Ron Cutler, sound design by Kenny Hobbs, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Trent Williamson, Carly Madden, Maggie Admire, Paul Mahler, and Freddie Beckley. This episode of Mythology was written by Freddie Beckley. The amazing cast of voice actors includes Tiana Camacho, Kimberly Holland, Kai Jordan, Harris Markson, Alastair Merton, Sammy Nye, Julian Smith, Rebecca Thomas, and Dan Velasquez. Mythology stars Vanessa Richardson. 